Hello, my name is Eric Santiago, and I'm with the Advance Network. Advance is a network of churches on five continents that partner together to plant and strengthen churches around core biblical values. One of the ways we do that is to share stories and insights from our experiences to help one another learn how to best serve our churches. So given the cultural and political climate in the United States at the moment, I wanted to reach out to some of our advanced pastors and leaders to create a platform for discussion about how to navigate these things. Because there is some intense political polarization, but it's not just in the country, it's also in the church. People are leaving congregations they've called home for decades. Lifelong relationships are eroding as good friends draw battle lines around things like masks, mail-in ballots, or racial injustice, and a lot of other issues. Now, this is not unique to America, and the Advanced Network has churches all over the world who are dealing with a variety of these kinds of issues. But with our presidential election in the United States just a month away, I wanted to focus on the American church in hopes that it would help all of us gain some wisdom and insight for the way forward. So hopefully you find this useful and informative. I've got some great guests and I'm really excited about this conversation. So let's jump in. Joining me today are Brett McCracken, Donnie Griggs, and Vaughn Jarrett. Uh, Brett uh, works for the Gospel Coalition full-time, but he's also an elder in an advanced church in Southern California at Southlands. Uh, Brett has written extensively on culture with his work, as well as uh, a number of books uh, that you may know, Gray Matters, Hipster Christianity, Uncomfortable, and then The Wisdom Pyramid, uh, which is due out here very shortly. Uh, and uh, he's also contributed to CNN and Christianity Today, so we're just really glad to have Brett here. We also have Vaughn Jarrett. Vaughn is uh, lead pastor of The Way, which is also in Southern California. Vaughn's a little bit of our superhero because he also works full-time as a safety director uh, for an international construction company. And uh, yeah, has just spoken extensively about a lot of the cultural issues that we're facing today. So good to have you, Vaughn. And then uh, we have Donnie Griggs, uh, all these guys, good friends of mine. Donnie's on the uh, global team for Advance uh, and also leads a church in uh, Moorhead City, North Carolina called One Harbor. Uh, they've got four sites down there and uh, that's a church in the South. So we've got a pretty good diversity of kind of American churches here from one coast to the other. And uh, yeah, guys, just really grateful uh, that you could join me here today. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so I want to kind of launch this off with actually a, a, a tweet that Brett recently tweeted. I think it was maybe yesterday or the day before. And um, Brett, I have borrowed some of uh, the recent articles that you've either written or posted, uh, some of the things from TGC, and just so appreciate uh, really what this content is doing to help us kind of stay measured and balanced. But you said this. It's a great tragedy that so many Christians today seem more energized by vote-for-my-candidate political advocacy than they are by follow-Jesus evangelism. Winning elections is not more important than winning souls. I think you did a great job of kind of capturing uh, what's in the ether right now and some of the tension that uh, many in the church are feeling. What's behind that? What are you noticing and what do you feel like uh, the issues are right now? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Wow. I mean, there's a lot at play in, in that dynamic, but I think really what I'm speaking to with that tweet is the fact that politics, I think in our culture and Western culture has really risen to the level of religion. So um, it's in, in, a, in a kind of post-Christian secularizing culture, there's a void that is created um, where religious practice used to be. And politics is conveniently filling that void for a lot of people. It's where people go for to channel their innate human um, design, design to, to want to worship something, to want to find meaning somewhere, to want to be kind of activist in some direction. Uh, and so you're really seeing this interesting kind of uh, politics as religion thing. And it's, it's both for secular people and actually, interestingly for Christians. So even for church going Christians, I think for a lot of them, politics has risen to almost like a higher level of religious fervor and religious zeal than even their own religion. Um, so if that's kind of one dynamic that I see that's making the stakes of this election feel existential, feel, you know, on that level of religious, um, it's the ultimate thing, right? Whoever wins or loses in November, um, it's kind of this religious importance. Um, there, there's a sign that I keep seeing in my neighborhoods. Maybe some of you have seen these yard signs and it's kind of like a creed. It starts out in this house, we believe dot, dot, dot. And then it's like a list of creedal type statements. We believe black lives matter. Women's rights are equal rights. Uh, sometimes it says like science is real. Um, no human is illegal. And it just goes on and on. And I think that right there, that's that yard sign is a symbol of what I'm talking about with mm. politics taking on religious uh, connotations. Mm. It's literally like that. It's kind of like that Joshua verse. As for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. Now you have yard signs that say in my house, we believe, you know, and then all these political statements. So I think that's kind of where we're at in, as a culture of politics is replace religion in many ways as the source of ultimate meaning as kind of the, the motivating factor for our action and what we say. Um, and to the point, sadly, where a lot of Christians on social media are more often seen kind of uh, proclaiming one political cause or another or you know, championing the values of their party or their candidate more often than they're seen championing the values of Jesus and the message of Jesus. And that's, that's tragic if that's the place where we've come to. Yeah. I mean, just as you were saying that it almost sounds like one of those, like the apostles creed or something we might kind of chant and worship, you know, during uh, one of our services. So speaking of our services, you know, Vaughn and Donnie, uh, you guys are kind of on the front lines of experiencing where some of these things are really taking hold in people's hearts and minds. Vaughn, in your context, I think you've got a primarily black church there in Southern California, and, uh, and Donnie actually is a primarily white church in uh, Moorhead City. And I'm, I'm curious to know how some of these dynamics are playing out um, not just on the basis of race, certainly, but culture and church culture and racial culture obviously affects this. Vaughn, what do you think about what Brett is talking about? And are you seeing evidence of that in your own church at The Way? Yeah, so our church is, is multicultural, but it is predominantly minority. 
Um, and like, like Brett said, I have seen that yard side and I, I like the distinction he made that uh, we're seeing a lot of that creep into the church, right? So in our church, I think that has been disheartening to see people who are more willing to uh, champion a political uh, stance and to be very um, boisterous about it and outspoken about it and they're posting about it and doing different things. Um, and I guess the frustration or, or the challenge is recognizing that even when they're doing that, it doesn't seem to be rooted in the principles of their faith. They seem to have more faith in um, whether it's a political candidate or a particular policy. And, you know, as a pastor, when you're, when you're trying to shepherd or you're trying to, to navigate these waters, it can be very difficult uh, when you're trying to draw people back to the principles of God, the principles within the scriptures, and uh, seeing that there almost seems to be um, this this separation where people don't feel it's necessary to apply or to pray about these things or to um, have their decisions shifted based on the word of God or the spirit of God. So uh, we are seeing that in our church. I think typically our church being predominantly minority, we haven't had um, too much of a focus on, on politics and too much of um, over the years, over the decade, uh, where, where it's caused division within the church. But this particular uh, election season and this particular season with going through COVID and some of the justice issues, it just seems like everybody um, is engaging in the conversation, some from passion, some from ignorance, um, and some that actually have some, some, uh, some backing and some, some uh, degree of understanding about some of the, the real issues at hand, but everybody's got their voice out there and is, is pretty passionate about it, mm. uh, making it tough waters to navigate. Donnie, how about you? What are you seeing, you know, in the context of uh, your church and also considering that we know, you know, unity is so fundamental to uh, us uh, and our communities as Christians and fellowship and sweet fellowship is part of what we enjoy about it. Yeah. How do you feel that's being impacted in your context? Yeah, I would agree with um, Brett and Vaughn that the politics as religion thing seems to be the, you know, like if you were if you were a physician, you know, you were trying to kind of go through symptoms, try to diagnose someone. Um, I think that would probably be, you know, um, a really probable explanation for what's going on um, is that, you know, opinions on, on you know, political uh, ideologies or candidates has um, taken a seat, you know, in people's hearts um, that, you know, is only reserved for, um, you know, for you know, for God. And it reminds me of a Luther quote. He said, you know, whatever your heart clings to or confides in, that is your God. And um, I think there's like a, yeah, there is a, a level of, it's like one thing to have an opinion about politics and, and to be informed or to be interested or to think voting is really essential and necessary and all those things. That, that's that's kind of like one whole separate thing. But, you know, to, to put your your hope um, and your, your trust um, in something in an ultimate way, um, really is, is the position of a, of a God. That's what a God does. Um, and so, yeah, I think we're seeing that. Um, and I think one of the, one of the, you know, there's lots of, I think things that make me concerned as a pastor. Um, one, I mean, as, as a Christian, you know, we believe that, um, only one God will, will not let you down. Only one God can actually save. Only one God can actually satisfy. Um, which means that, you know, everything else as an idol would, 
will eventually let you down. I mean, C.S. Lewis says idols always break the hearts of their worshipers. So I'm worried um, about people, you know, in our churches who are putting their ultimate hope in um, something that cannot save, cannot deliver. Um, and I'm worried for for what that brokenheartedness will feel like um, if their guy gets elected. You know, once you know, um, once the dust settles and they realize, you know, that you know, that's not going to fix everything they thought it would, or or if they don't get elected, I mean, that, that brokenheartedness I'm worried about. And then I'm also worried about, um, as you mentioned, Eric, the unity, you know, um, it reminds me a lot of the Galatian church when, you know, Paul, you know, you know, the, the instance that, that takes place where, um, you know, the, the church is splitting over ethnic uh, lines, you know, falling back into, you know, um, historic, um, you know, Jewish practices and, and, and what it resulted in where, you know, Jews would meet with Gentiles, I think, um, we've got churches that were really rallied around the gospel and rallied around the mission of Jesus and like really sweet, beautiful, amazing things were happening. And, um, people were coming to faith and getting baptized and like amazing stuff. And, and, and I see, I think people have lost sight of that. And, and now it's like, you know, will, will they actually be willing to eat with and, 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 um, you know, fellowship with and do community with someone who's not of their political party. And that is just like a really, really sad thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It occurred to me, I was thinking back on that scripture where, you know, Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword and, and to divide, you know, mother against son. And uh, I'm paraphrasing. Um, but I always imagined that was believer and non-believer. Mm-hmm. I just always unconsciously conceived of that uh, in that way. But now I've seen actually people so greatly divided around these uh, political issues. So I, I, I resonate with that. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ping back to you, Brett, you wrote an article um, called Our Church is Losing the Battle to Form Christians. And it, it seems to me that one of the issues in terms of staying rooted in our faith, in that which we know is unshakable and is not sort of uh, ephemeral political ideologies, um, is really just engaging in, in Scripture. Um, you say a church's worship habits may occupy two hours of a Christian's week. Now we know that with COVID that has uh, potentially even gone you know, down from that. And then, it, and then you go on to say, but podcasts, radio shows, cable news, social media, streaming entertainment, and other forms of media account for upwards of 90 hours of their week which is just extraordinary. And then one last thing is that, you know, data show that scripture engagement has declined amid the COVID-19 outbreak. And there's a clear relationship between scripture engagement and in-person church participation. And so I guess all this is going to sort of where we have our minds, you know, uh, kind of generating our ideas and filling our thoughts. Uh, What have you observed and what do you think this is doing in terms of this issue? Uh, yeah, I think I think the media um, landscape is a huge part of why we're at where we're at as a culture and as a church in terms of being so polarized and divided. Um, because that ratio is so daunting, the whole, the whole like 90 hours of online media, radio versus maybe an hour or two of, of Christian formation, uh, it just means that people are being formed, they're being catechized in terms of their hearts and minds um, by um, potentially very um, misleading and dangerous and secular voices. And in the realm of politics, that's 
especially troubling because it means that it comes to this point where people's um, opinions on issues are formed, you know, more by Ben Shapiro or Rachel Maddow or whichever voice they're listening to than it is formed by scripture. And they could probably better articulate kind of what any given podcast host or cable news host says about justice or race or any of these issues, then they could name a few verses of the Bible that talk about it. And that's the, that's the big problem. You know, it's, there should be, and there, there must be a a relationship between politics and faith. Um, But it becomes problematic when the politics um, informs faith versus the other way around. So we need to be fighting to have it be that our faith and our identity as Christians and our authority, which is scripture, that is what informs how we view politics versus the other way around, which is what I see happening a lot, where people kind of come to church and come to scripture already with their political um, leanings formed, and they, they kind of conveniently pick scriptures that defend whatever they want to believe politically and they're not letting scripture speak prophetically to them um, in ways that maybe challenge the perfect alignment with any political party. That's a good point. And and I think that alignment with political party is an interesting one because where I think many pastors might feel the inclination to sort of directly preach to some of these things that are happening, especially day to day, um, uh, a lot of us, and I say us because all four of us are pastors, but I know Vaughn and Donnie are preaching very regularly. And most pastors will, for reasons I can understand, avoid going after specific partisan kinds of issues. And there's a tension there because on the one hand, we want to bring the light of truth and, and the gospel to bear in these situations, but then we sort of can't. So I, I, I'm interested to know, you know, Vaughn, for instance, uh, how does uh, you know this work in terms of your own preaching? And do you feel like a real reticence? I mean, obviously there's kind of the nonprofit issue that we're aware of, but then there's also just knowing that it will stir up uh, a lot of uh, trouble, difficulty. Uh, and one last thing I'll mention is there's a pastor in Minnesota named Greg Boyd, and I think it was around the 2016, or maybe it was the 2008 elections, he started preaching that, you know, biblical ideology, the gospel does not easily align with one party or another. And he had 20% of the people leave his church. So there's legitimate concern there. Vaughn, what's on your mind when it comes to these kinds of things? I think that that's always been the call for pastors, you know, to say things that are true, but maybe unpopular, to say things that are not easy to receive or digest. So for us, uh, for me in particular, um, I haven't seen it as too much of an issue. We, we just preach the truth. Um, and sometimes it's more difficult for some people to receive based on history and challenges and, you know, their current state. But it has been, it has been eye-opening for me to see um, in other churches on this particular issue because we're looking at political parties and we're looking at race issues. I've watched pastors that I trust and pastors that, that, um, that I have good relationships with have to really wrestle with that. Um, I can imagine, like like you mentioned, to lose 20% of your church because you take a particular stance. That is biblical, how difficult that uh, that must be. However, I still think that it's it's the right thing to do. My, my challenge specifically as an African-American pastor is 
when we're dealing with some of these issues related to race right now, um, being seen as, is this coming from uh, a black man who cares about this because he's black, or is this coming from a spiritual leader who sees something in the scriptures and sees something, um, and feels something from the spirit of God that needs to be communicated to the congregation. And one of the things I've found the most interesting is um, whether it's uh, pastors of all different backgrounds, it seems that they're, they're typically trusted to preach the truth, typically trusted to have the mind and heart of God and the spirit of God. But when it comes to politics and race, all of a sudden they can't be trusted and they have ulterior motives. And that's been extremely surprising to me. And it makes it difficult to speak to these issues, mm. depending on what political party you may belong to or what race you, you belong to, because you're not, you're not given that same trust to shepherd that you seem to be given in every, every other area. One, one thing I'll say is there's a fine line too, you know, from not making this the only thing that you talk about or think about, you know, and, and I'm, I'm worried too for some, for some pastors that this becomes the only thing they talk about. Actually, that's not preaching. You know, um, William Perkins said that, you know, we, we preach one Christ by Christ to the praise of Christ. Preaching is holding out Jesus. And, you know, um, I heard Larry Osborne say something recently that I thought was just genius. You know, he talked about how Jesus was the only one who could get, you know, uh, Levi the tax collector and Simon the zealot to be on the same team. And, you know, um, you know imagine, um, you know, imagine a, a Tucker Carlson and, Jake Tapper or whatever on the same team. And it feels like a really bizarre combination. And, but Jesus is able to do that. And it just was this fresh reminder for me of, man, we need to hold, whatever we do, we need to make sure we're preaching, we're holding out how good Jesus is. Because when people see how good Jesus is, he, he, he casts a shadow on everything else. And, um, and so that's been a, a real hope for me too, is that as we hold out Jesus faithfully and clearly, um, you know, it will cause people to, you know, to, who, who would who would not see any kind of reason to unify to be willing to come together because of how good Jesus is, you know? Yeah, that's good. And I want to move to one of the things, again, that Brett has written about. Um, he wrote an article uh, called How to Navigate the Gen Generational Divide in Politics. And we all know if we've got kids, and I have teenage kids, and then I have parents, uh, that, um, you know, if I talk to my mother and then I talk to my daughter, uh, I'm getting significantly different points of view, and that's not just in my family. Uh, Brett uh, talked about just how to engage with this, and I think gave some really helpful perspective. But Brett, why is this um, seeming to fall as much along generational lines at times? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, on one hand, it's not new. Like, this is kind of a normal thing to happen in any generation. You kind of shift politics based on or in reaction to what your parents' politics were. And so it kind of is this back and forth pendulum swing situation. Um, but just speaking to our current moment in particular, I think um, from what I sense, a lot of younger evangelicals uh, like myself who grew up in kind of the moral majority era, the values, voters, you know, ethics really matter in our president. Um, think back to the Bill Clinton presidency and, that, that scandal and everything was about like, we need to have, you know, our leaders need to be stalwarts of character. And so I think Trump has really um, revealed a moral relativism with our, the older generation where suddenly literally polls have shown that, that evangelicals who used to rate uh, character highly as an important qualification for the president 
And now after Trump, you know, conveniently, now it's not as important um, as a qualifier. So we look at that as young evangelicals and we're just like, how do we believe anything you guys taught us? Like if you can shift, you know, these convictions so conveniently. And so, yeah. And, and on one hand, I think it's good to voice that frustration and it's real, but I talked about it in the article. On the other hand, I think it's important for the younger generation um, to, to honor or the older generation listen to them and try to understand where they're coming from. If they have politics that are different from us and not let it become this wedge issue that ultimately, um, creates resentment uh, over time. At the end of the day, and I end the article um, talking about this, at the end of the day, we as members of uh, the church, as the people of God, whether young, old, whether different races, different perspectives, we, we have more in common through Jesus um, than, than two people of the same political party who agree on every issue have in common. And that's just the reality. And I think that we can't lose sight of that in all of this, in all of this divisive polarization in our culture. We need to fight for unity because we are the church and we will outlive every political party. We will outlive every nation. Um, Mark Dever has this great quote where he says something to the effect of uh, the nation. America is an experiment, but the church is a certainty. And it's this idea that, you know, before America, after America is the church, right? And that's true of any nation. The Roman Empire came and went. It's a drop in the bucket of history of eternity. America will cease to be at one point in the future, but the church won't. And our, our allegiance to Jesus will far outlive our allegiance to any nation's flag. And so we just need to remember that and kind of keep our priorities straight, our, our fellowship one with another as um, followers of Jesus is going to be an eternal fellowship. And so if you have two people in a church who maybe have one's a Republican, one's a Democrat, you are going to be in communion with them for eternity. You're not going to be in communion with your atheist neighbor who shares your politics perfectly. So that's just a good reminder um, that we need to remind ourselves of the, the church comes before the state um, for us. We need to prioritize our identity as the church beyond any identity that we find in a, in a political party. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, at the end of that article regarding the generational divide, you sort of issue this sober warning um, talking to parents of any age, I imagine, but you say, if you make politics ultimate to the point that becomes a sort of secular religion, don't be surprised if your kids do the same, just with different politics. And, and it seems to me that then we quickly get to the question, and this is where I want to draw the other uh, pastors in, um, you know, how do you engage uh, in order to sort of try to start achieving this manner of unity? Again, not if you're just a pastor, but... Uh, any Christian who's a member of a church community, uh, one of the things that you suggest is everyone has a personal story that shapes their politics. Begin your engagement on that level. So there's some empathy and real compassion in that. Tell me a little bit about that, and then I'd love to hear from the other guys as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I think of um, just the the verse that really comes up almost every week for me is 
be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. If we could all just practice that as Christians a bit more, like how countercultural would that be? Because we don't live in a culture that is quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. And so, yeah, I think um, everyone does have a story and um, that, that shapes their political convictions. And so if we just respected them and dignified them enough to listen and, and vice versa, I think we could make a lot of progress uh, in these um, impasses that we, that we find. So, yeah, I, I think that that's an important small thing we can do is just listen to each other more uh, and don't immediately jump on them for, for having a different you know, take on a political issue than you do. Yeah. So Vaughn, back to you on that question of how do we get practical with this in terms of, again, whether you're a Christian member of a church, a pastor, how do you feel like we begin to or sort of continue to cultivate unity in light of some of this political polarization? I think it's a little bit challenging for for me and for um the minority church in America. You know, as, as Brett was speaking, I was considering how for the majority in a particular portion of our society, I can imagine how difficult it is to separate um, uh, that idea of unity within the church and within the body of believers and uh, this faith in political party because a uh, political party has done so much for that community. It has served that population, um, given them safety, security, um, opportunity, and um, uh, something to be behind in community in a way that sometimes is a little bit different than the church, which we are called to serve uh, within and to serve each other. So that's got to be very challenging when you think about the numbers for the majority to be able to do that. When I think about the minority in the, in the church, um, Again, for me, my, my experience, and I don't speak for all minorities or all minority churches. However, um, that hasn't been as difficult because I think um, politics for the minority, whether it was weren't really allowed to play a role in politics. And then there was a time where, okay, now you're able to vote, but does your vote matter? And we're not talking about hundreds of years of this political um, impact and influence that we're having. We're talking about a relatively short period of time where, you know, Brett mentioned earlier how growing up and hearing about politics and what, what were, were uh, priorities within homes, I think in most minority homes, there wasn't a lot of talk about politics and there wasn't a lot of talk about um, political parties and what, who you were going to vote for and why you were going to vote for them. Even recently, they were talking about certain companies that are thinking about how can we impact uh, minority voting. They're talking about giving people time off of work and pay time off of work just to go and vote to make it a priority. So I think the challenge is actually significantly different um, because I think that's more of the landscape for minority uh, churches. Uh, the unity, uh, I think it's it's easier to have the conversation based on uh, what we're talking about, trying to, to shift the focus in the minor in the majority back to uh, biblical values and unity first. I think just continuing that conversation within minorities actually has to go the other way where it's we, we're pretty focused on unity, but but maybe maybe the focus needs to shift and say we can have an impact, impact in politics and we do need to be educated on these things and we do need to be concerned with who we're voting for and why and maintaining the unity without isolating this political arena where we fall victim to whoever does end up in office or we fall victim to whatever policies we are unaware of. 
so I, I think it's actually an interesting dynamic, um, the minority church and the minorities within the church compared to the majority and how they have historically viewed politics and their influence within the churches. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Very interesting, especially as we shift to Donnie. Donnie, you have a, a majority white church. Uh, potentially tangling with some of the challenges Vaughn's talking about, but how do you feel like both as Christians, as pastors, we can help to cultivate unity in a very disunified time? I think um, the more that we as, as leaders and as Christians can avoid, um, you know, overusing some of the buzzwords and the stuff that's like really, um, you know, I've just noticed how, you know, how, how hard it is to say some of those some of those phrases um, without you know um, everyone just assuming all the worst things about you or um, like what phrases, Donnie? I, I'm, I'm oh gonna, man, I'm going to draw well, you out a little I bit. Think, I think they'd be obvious. I mean, critical theory or Marxism or you know nationalism or you know uh, if you're going to say things like those things or Black Lives Matter or whatever whatever those phrases are, um, I think it's recognizing man, there's a responsibility to um, really being clear about what you are saying, what you're not saying. And, um, you know, I, I personally, you know, um, I personally have been guilty of not being as clear about some of those things as, as, as I should have been, you know? And so I think just recognizing that, I think if we want unity, I think we have to recognize that these polarizing terms, um, if we're going to use them, we have to really think about how to carefully use them, um, and, and, and not be unwise with them. Um, and I think, man, like, I think we need to model um, this and call people to, you know, really digging deep and trying to be the best version of yourself. That's hard this year. Everyone's um, been beaten down in one way or another. Um, and, 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 uh, and certainly, you know, communities like, you know, Vaughn, um, um, you know, represents and, and, you know, there's a whole different layer to, you know, to um, what minority um, communities are, are feeling uh, this year, but 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 everyone in general, because of COVID, because of we're just we're just at the worst versions of ourselves. Um, we're exasperated, we're tired, um, you know, we're fearful or we're angry. Like there's all those emotions, and I think, um, man, I think there's a moment for us as Christians to um, to you know dig deep by relying on the Spirit, getting the Scriptures. How are we supposed to treat people? You know, even looking at how Jesus says we're supposed to treat our enemies. I mean, a lot of a lot of Christians won't even treat people in their church as as good as Jesus tells us to treat our enemies. Um, it's getting back to like, man, what actually does it look like to live out this gospel? You know, to um, you know, Galatians five it says, you know, you've been called to freedom, um, but but use your freedom, you know, to you know, in love to serve one another. I mean, what would that look like for us to to like change our our like our our paradigm of thinking to, um, man, how can I be someone? who today loves and serves everyone who I come across because of how Jesus has loved and served me. Um, you know, we've got a moment, I think, as, as Christians in America to hold out light in real darkness um, and, to, um, and, and to, to, to love and serve and care for people. And um, I think that a lot of that mission has been uh, hijacked um, by all this, the politics and by COVID and by all the rest. And, um, so yeah, I think it looks looks like some of that. I think definitely what Brett was saying about just being someone who's empathetic towards the stories and the pains and you know of other people and um, man, we just need a lot of that right now. You know, I think something that's important is humility in all of this, in the sense that 
none of us has it figured out in terms of like, no one person should think like, I have arrived at exactly what the biblical Christian political approach to everything is. <laughs> like, no one should, should think that. And so all of us have a lot to learn and we should all admit that there's probably blind spots based on our background, based on experiences we've had where we're more inclined to kind of, you know, not have ears to hear the Bible challenge us on a certain issue or another. And so we all need to approach these conversations with humility and, and teachability and the ability to maybe change our mind. You know, there's woefully little of that in our culture right now where people are open to being persuaded and, and maybe hearing someone's argument uh, and, and, and changing or softening your perspective accordingly. And I think that speaks to the other thing that I wanted to say, which is the importance of being willing to break rank with your party um, on occasion. So I don't think it's healthy for anyone to have this all or nothing. Like I'm just totally bought into everything, my political party, and I'm never going to say anything wrong about anything. Um, I think we, we need to just acknowledge that um, even if we believe one party or the other is 90% right, um, we need to be able to speak out about the 10% where they're clearly wrong. And scripture is obvious that that is clearly wrong. I think you lose a lot of credibility when you don't do that. So I think uh, we would make progress in these conversations if we can be good faith um, advocates for our prospective parties, meaning um, that I can say, I really think this party has the right approach to most things, but I'm, I'm honest enough to admit they don't have it right on this. And actually maybe the other party has it right on that. So like I have one of my best friends is a Christian. We went to Christian college together. He's still an evangelical. He's on the opposite political party as, as I am. And on most things we disagree, but he's willing to say, yeah, like my political party is really wrong on this issue. And that just makes me respect him. And it, and it makes me listen to him on a lot more because he's not just kind of towing the party line, you know, hook, line and sinker and just regurgitating you know, talking points from a partisan source, if that makes sense. It does. And I wonder, you know, I've often speculated throughout the course of the intensity of these conversations, the, the activity that just seems to consume the news cycle and social media, you know, once the election is over, and again, will it be contested and what will the outcome be? What are, what are you guys all sort of either predicting, preparing yourselves for, or trying to consider as a way forward to just continue to play your part in, in this whole thing. I had been thinking much about that. You know, I, I looked at the statistics and, and don't, don't hold me to the specific numbers, but over the last 15, 20 years, you know, one of the big ones people are talking about is, well, what's the party stance on abortion or, or these major issues? And a lot of people will take their, their, their political stance based on these issues. And I think it said something like between 1.3 and 800,000 abortions every year. Um, and that's different political parties in power. Yet for some reason, we believe that this is the year that if the right party doesn't get um, into office or if the party you want to get in office, that there's going to be this major change. So I think that's one area where you can really see what, what, I, what I predict is going to happen is uh, I think Donnie said it earlier, um, the, the idol is not going to 
deliver what it promises. You know, we're going to be in the same position where it's going to be up to the church and it's going to be up to individual leaders and individual families to really change the, the direction of um, our churches and change the direction of our communities uh, and change the direction of our country. Um, it's, it's not going to be what was promised to us. And then hopefully the relationships aren't so damaged so that they can be restored and we can work together to really bring, bring change. Yeah, that's uh, that's an important thing. I think both the action, uh, but then also recognizing that there's going to be some measure of dissatisfaction regardless of the outcome. Donnie, how about you in terms of how you envision sort of a post-election uh, church culture, whether it's One Harbor or broadly, more broadly? Yeah, it's hard to know. I think for folks, you know, in our churches who uh, right now may be um, up in arms, swept up in this. I mean, I've had people with tears running down their face. You know, this is, they really believe that, you know, this is about saving America and it's up to us. And, um, and, and, you know, I want to empathize with them. I can disagree, you know, some of those things, but, but I also want to create a scenario where, um, when, when, and if they, they realize, gosh, I got our eyes off Jesus there. Didn't even realize it. I, I want them to feel like, I'm a safe place. We're a safe place for them to come back. And I think if we're if we're um, if we're not careful, some of us can you know some pastors are going to have made such a hard stance on this that um, it'll be too shameful. And so that's that's I think a, a word I'm I'm trying to watch for, and we're trying to watch for, and I would, I would encourage other pastors to to really um, think about as well. Um, yeah. So yeah. Well, that's a great posture of forgiveness. As we've been talking about, I, I know you've had people leave your church uh, because of political reasons, and you're already sort of positioning yourself to kind of take a Jesus approach if they do come back. Yeah. Well, I think it's not personal. That's, I think that's the thing, too. We can, I can get personally offended by this. I can feel personally, you know, um, you know, like, like this is somehow about me. And actually it's not, it's about, it's about people in Jesus. And, um, man, I can really understand how people on both sides of the spectrum, you know, in this particular year could get swept up in all this. I, you know, I can totally see how it can happen. And, you know, um, so I, I want to take me out of it. It's not about me. Um, and I want to create a scenario where, you know, on the other side of this, we can, we can still help you can still have a voice in the people's lives. And, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, we've only got a few minutes left, guys. So I just want to do two more things. I want to he see if there's any sort of closing comments or things you've thought of that we haven't gotten to throughout the course of the conversation. But I have one sort of rogue off-road kind of question, and maybe it goes nowhere, but I'm just curious because if it's, it's always hard when we're looking 2,000 years later at the state of the church, not to consider the beginnings of the church. I, I often wonder about this. And you know, um, I hear people make a lot of comments about the way the early Christians were. Well, one thing we know is that the early Christians didn't vote. They didn't have a vote. And of course, we do consider this such a privilege. And yet, it seems as though we've gotten wrapped around the spokes as much as anything else. And has it done more harm than good that we can actually vote? And or how should we see this privilege and responsibility that we have as voters and as Christians? Brett, I'll start with you on that one. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I, I think that um, politics is good and government and nations are good and, and they're God-given things. And, and so 
it's it's a means through which human flourishing ideally comes about in any given regime and place. So for that reason alone, it's important that I think Christians are involved and recognize the stakes are real human lives that can become better or worse. And so for that reason, I think we should be involved. But again, I think we need to always remember the the higher realm, the higher regime that we as Christians are a part of and that we are in continuity with those early Christians in you know, the Greco-Roman Empire who were declaring Jesus is Lord, which is a political statement. And so when we declare Jesus, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, we are declaring something political that, it, that transcends all the politics of America, all the politics of France, England, any other country. Um, and so that we're part of a political community as the church. It's a 2000 year old political community. And we're declaring a political reality that one day there will be a physical regime on this earth where Jesus will reign. He will be the sovereign over everyone. Every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. And, and so the church exists to be uh, an emissary of that, a foreshadowing of that. So when we meet, we are declaring you know, the future um, truth of that and the, the present truth of that, that Jesus reigns. He is king of kings. He is supreme over everything. And so I think after the election, whatever happens with the American White House, we just need to remember that the, the mission continues, our task continues as the church to, to be about that political regime, the kingdom of God. What are the priorities of that? Because that's going to be an eternal political regime, way more important than any American political regime. So we need to get back to the, the work of how do we live out the politics of that kingdom in our communities, and by doing so, foreshadow the coming reality of the kingdom of God in the future. And every church across the world is doing that. And I think that international perspective also can be helpful. I would love the day after the election for there to be like some sort of international, just like forum that we can have just at even advance. We have those connections just to remind ourselves that, okay, that was an interesting little thing that happened in American politics, but the bigger, more important thing is what we're all doing together in our respective countries as ambassadors of, of Christ's political regime. And so I think that perspective, the international reality, the global reality of Christ's kingdom is so important in these conversations. Like American politics isn't the world and there's <laughs> American political parties don't have a, um, you know, monopoly on any sort of biblical or Christian approach to politics. Well said. Guys, any closing thoughts, either in response to what Brett just said or things that are kind of on your mind as we close the conversation? Any of you guys? Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll say that I'm, I'm usually a pretty simple guy, and I agree with Brett that, you know, the scriptures tell us that the governments and the nations, uh, the authorities are put in place by God for our safety um, and for our help. So I think it's pretty easy to, to recognize that and support that. I think the, the challenge is not, not making the mistake of thinking that we somehow then live in a theocracy. You know, our, our nation is not the nation of God and it is not run and ruled by the principles of God. So we can't make the mistake of thinking that it is. Um, as Christians, we are called to be sojourners and pilgrims and our citizenship is in heaven. 
And when we talk to one another, if we recognize that one of our brothers or sisters seems to, to uh, think that they're more of a citizen of the United States than they are the kingdom of heaven, then you can see the progression of, of challenges and difficulties that are going to flow from that. So I think our responsibility is just to keep reminding one another of our citizenship in heaven. Like Brett mentioned, if you've traveled or if you've been with other believers in other places, it's a little bit easier to see that. But some that either haven't seen that or don't get that consistent reminder, it's so easy to get swept up into um, uh, let us fix our eyes on old glory instead of let us fix our eyes on Jesus. So I think it's going to be important as we move forward just to never forget our citizenship is in heaven and make sure that our actions follow that idea and how we treat one another here and how we treat um, others from other nations. It's just the nature of media is there, everyone is incentivized to be partisan because you can make more money, you can build a tribe, you can sell advertising when it's tailored to a specific partisan perspective. So that's bad for all of us. Um, and it's making the problems of polarization way worse. So I think a balanced diet on our end is the only real thing we can do is yeah. take everything with a grain of salt, but kind of balance out yeah. Fox News with a little CNN and vice versa. I think that, that diet analogy is helpful when you think about like people trying to determine if they have like a gluten intolerance or a, you know, some kind of allergy. Like, no, when I eat that, I feel bad. You know, I think when you watch that, do you walk away like feeling angry? Like, do you feel like justified to like, you know, be hateful towards other people? I mean, like, you know, it, it, there's just, it's clear to me I see people consume this stuff and they're not, they're not, their life is not more full of the fruit of the spirit because of it, you know, and, yeah. and, just, and just kind of saying, Hey, if that's how you feel, turn it off. I think we just also need to need to pray a lot. Just bathe this whole fall election season in prayer, pray for unity, um, pray for our leaders. I think it's appropriate to be praying for whoever wins in November um, because we, we know that the world is complex and getting more complex by the day. And so our leaders need all the wisdom they can get. So that at a base level, that should be a non-controversial thing we can all get behind is praying for our political leaders. Amen. Well, guys, thanks so much for joining uh, together to talk about this. It is a big topic. We certainly didn't cover it all, but hopefully it'll help create platforms for other conversations within our advanced community and beyond. Thanks a lot, you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, sir. Well, thanks for checking this out. I hope it was helpful to you. If so, please share it with others. There were some key things that struck me about this interview. First, that Christians are political, and we have a political agenda, as it were, but it does not easily align with either major party. You know, I have a longtime friend who started going to church a few years back. He, he wasn't a Christian. I've been praying for him for a long time. But he called me and he said he realized he was coming to faith in Jesus. So I was thrilled. But then he said he wasn't sure he could because he didn't want to join the political party that the people in the church were in. I told him he didn't have to. He was free to choose based on his convictions. And he was relieved but it made me realize that this political polarization is not just an issue of unity in the church. It's an issue of our witness to those who are not yet Christians. Do they know us as followers of Christ or political loyalists? 
Also, Vaughn's description of his church and the disillusionment among people who have been marginalized and underrepresented is vital for us to understand. Whoever that may be needs a voice in this conversation, and that would just seem to be key to a Christian's political agenda. There's a lot to this conversation. In some ways, we've only scratched the surface, but hopefully this serves as a helpful platform uh, for all of you who tuned in. We so appreciate you joining us and look forward to next time.